Well, good morning, friends. Good to be with you today. I also want to greet those who are watching at home online. May the Lord be with you. May you feel his presence as we worship together, both in, in person with one another, but also in spirit, connected by the Holy Spirit and what God is at work doing. Well, before I begin my message today, I just wanted to take a moment to just acknowledge the significance of yesterday being the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks. Um, 20 years. Uh, I think those of us who uh, are of age <laughs> remember those moments pretty vividly, can put them in their place in our minds, where we were, what we were about doing. For, for me, I was with a church staff preparing for a Tuesday morning staff meeting and uh, woke up and, and heard the news and, and went into church. And, and we as a staff obviously put aside what our regular meeting agenda would have been and instead had the TV on and, and just prayed with one another and then prepared to gather that evening with a group of people who wanted to come to church just to be together in a place of prayer. It was a significant day. And I think it also speaks something that when we commemorate 20 years that that September 11th falls on a Saturday, but Sunday is September 12th. Just a reminder that there is always a September 12th that follows a September 11th. And there is always a Sunday, a resurrection that we look forward to and that we are reminded of that becomes our hope. But I just want to take a, a brief moment and just pause in this moment to commemorate and remember in our hearts the lives that were lost both then and since, and honor those who were first responders and uh, those who have served faithfully during this season. So let's just pause for a moment of silence. Amen. Amen. Thank you for taking that moment with me this morning. Well, today we are continuing in the gospel according to Matthew, a journey that has carried us all the way through the summer and will carry us into the tail end of the fall. It's a long book, Matthew, 28-some chapters, and uh, we're only up to chapter 21 and 22. But uh, it's been a good journey, a journey of, of understanding who Jesus is, Jesus as the one and true and only king of Israel, the Messiah, the one who has come to rescue us from our sins, but also to be our Lord as well as our Savior. Such an important message and such an important story. And today we come to a part of the story that we often celebrate at a different time of year. This is the part of the story that comes at that time what we call Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter Sunday, when we recognize that Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem. And he's coming there for a reason. The king has come to claim his throne. That's what Jesus coming into Jerusalem symbolizes. He is coming as the Messiah, as the one true king, coming into Jerusalem, the only place that would make sense for him to arrive and to establish his kingdom. But of course, as those of us who know the rest of the story, know the way that he establishes this kingdom is unlike any other king and unlike any other kingdom. But it wouldn't have been known that way necessarily to his first followers, to those who were watching him make this grand procession into Jerusalem, into the heart of Judaism, into the heart of the temple sacrifice system, into all of it. They wouldn't have known precisely what Jesus was up to. And in that moment, Jesus does something dramatic. 
And we're going to read about that today as we open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 12. So if you have your Bibles with you, please feel free to open up your Bibles. You can open them up on your iPad or on your iPhone or any other place that you might happen to have the Bible in its context there. So open it up, and I'm going to begin reading chapter 21 at verse 12. Follow along with me as I read. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? A little side note this morning, we were out enjoying some pancakes and bacon. I don't know if you've had a chance to enjoy that yet today, but I was out there with little Winston, who is our worship director's son, and Winston was at the table, and he had broken up in front of him some pancakes and some bacon, and the words that he used, bacon. <laughs> oh, and butter. He saw that on the table, too. Dan, you are raising this child right. <laughs> Bacon and butter from the lips of children. Ah, yes. <laughs> That's right. Train up a child in the way they should go. Oh, preach. Amen. <laughs> I couldn't help but share that. I thought that was just so awesome. Over there, bacon. Shoving it into his mouth. Just the best. Just the best. Man. Well, I tell you what. This passage of Scripture... It's pretty shocking, at least it had to be shocking to those first disciples who were experiencing it in real time for the first time. Jesus is flipping out. After making his way on that road into Jerusalem, he makes his way straight into the temple courts, the outside courts of the temple, sees what's going on there, and starts flipping over tables. This is no minor act. His disciples had to be in that moment looking at him going, Jesus, what are you doing? Are you trying to get yourself killed? Do you understand what you are doing? But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, specifically what he was doing. And why is he doing this? Because Jesus knows the Father's heart, and he is expressing it in his Father's heart authority. And there's a term for this. It's a biblical term, and that term is prophecy. Prophecy. That is what Jesus is about doing and sharing and speaking in this moment. When Jesus comes in and sees what is going on in the temple courts, his words hearken back to words of two great prophets in the Old Testament, Jeremiah and Isaiah. And Jesus is 
hearkening back to those words of prophecy, claiming them and proclaiming them, and then acting on those words in the heart of the Father right in the midst of all that is happening within the temple courts. Now, some people will look at what's happening there and and immediately make a connection that, that isn't necessarily entirely the fullness of what God means in this passage. What am I saying? Let me say that again. <laughs> Make it a little less clear, perhaps, or maybe more clear. When Jesus is turning over the tables of the money changers, a lot of people will immediately associate that and say, ah, what Jesus is doing is he's upset that anybody should be doing any kind of commerce there related to the temple. And so for us, of us today, we should make sure that nothing is ever being sold or bought in our commons. Amen, let's be done and move on. That really misses the point. (laughs) That's really missing the point. I want to help clarify why Jesus is specifically doing this act and relating it to the words of Jeremiah and Isaiah. Let's start with Jeremiah. Jeremiah 7, verses 9 through 11 says this. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Do you see what Jesus is doing? In quoting these words from Jeremiah, you have turned this place into a den of robbers. He is directly moving back to this, and he's not just saying something about the exchange of money. He is also saying something about what's happening in the hearts of those who are there. Jesus is concerned about what is happening in this space that has been set apart for worship, has been set apart for prayer, And has been set apart not just for prayer, but as a house of prayer for all nations. Now when we hear this in the context of Matthew, it says, my house should be a house of prayer. And that is also directly pointing back to Isaiah. And Isaiah has this to say related to this passage. Isaiah 56, verses 6 through 7. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations." And that tagline there, house of prayer for all nations, is critical to understanding why Jesus is claiming these words, proclaiming them in this place, and flipping these tables. You see, here's the thing. The space where Jesus is occupying, the area known as the outer courts, that was the court of the Gentiles. This was the court and space that God commanded be set aside in his house specifically for those who were not Jewish, for the foreigners, for people traveling from distant lands. 
You see, God in his heart has a heart that is not just for his chosen people, but for all people to come and be a part of his family. And what Jesus is witnessing is the exact opposite. What Jesus sees instead in these courts of the Gentiles is nothing but business as usual, commerce taking place, an overwhelming abundance of commerce, completely dismissing the importance of this place and area being set aside for people in need, for the foreigner, for the one who is outside of the covenant, but who is being welcomed in to the family so that God can pronounce his blessing upon them and bring them in. Now this sale going on within the property, it in and of itself was a necessary reality. See, people traveling from far distances who had to come on this specific special day to make sacrifice in the temple, well, if they were traveling a long way, you couldn't necessarily be hauling a lamb on your shoulder or dragging a bunch of cattle behind you or even a bunch of caged birds. So these people who would come from a long distance would come to the temple and they would come with their money so that they could purchase a sacrifice to make inside of the walls of the temple. Good enough plan, needed to be done. And so those who were providing these animals needed payment for the animals, because the animals weren't free. But something else was going on, and that's this. When people were coming from all around the region, they were coming with coins and with money. In many cases, they were coins of the empire. They would be coming with their Roman coins. And there was a little bit of a touch point within the temple that's kind of like, you know, it just doesn't quite feel right to be taking Caesar's money with Caesar's emblem on it and using that in exchange for somebody purchasing a sacrifice. So instead they said, listen, let's change over the money. They can come in and bring their temple coins in. We'll exchange them for, for Hebrew currency so that they can then take that and go and purchase their sacrifice. Now sometimes while this was going on, some shenanigans were happening too. This is not something that God was approving of, profiteering off of this. So there's certainly an element of that that is the reality of what's going on here. But the bigger reality is the fact that this space that is set aside for God's people and for people who are outside of the Jewish faith, to be able to have a, a space for them to come, be blessed, and know that unlike any other religion in the world, here was a space that God had set apart for them with the intent of blessing them, all the way back from the Abrahamic blessing of saying, I have blessed you so that you will be a blessing. This is God's heart. And this is what has Jesus flipping tables. And he does it with a prophetic voice. What is that prophetic voice? See, prophecy always makes a point. And Jesus is making a point. He's pointing out God's standard and points at humanity's failure to meet that standard. We hear that in Jeremiah. But from that place, he also points forward to God's plan and God's ultimate victory. And that's something to celebrate. That's something that we should be excited about because there's a kingdom that is coming and God wants to establish that kingdom and wants all nations to be blessed as a part of that kingdom. And so he's putting this out there, and we see it in the example of Jesus, then as soon as the, the tables are turned and the, and the chaos is kind of shifted down, who starts to show up? The lame. Those who are in need of connecting with Jesus. 
the children, the ones who, as we've said before, were the outsiders, the ones who, who didn't have a voice. Their voice can now be heard in the temple, crying out, Hosanna, son of David. See, there's a, there's a foretaste of how it is God desires his house to be. So let me ask you a question. What is it in this house and what is it within you that needs to get flipped? Are there some tables in this place and some tables in our own hearts that need to be flipped? I believe there are. I believe there always are because God is always calling us into something closer to his heart. And in doing that, it means flipping over some things that that maybe we've grown too accustomed to or too comfortable with. Let me see if I can point out some things today that I believe God is calling us to as a congregation. And maybe not just this congregation, but other congregations as well. I believe God is flipping some tables, and he's flipping us from convenience to connection. From convenience to connection. Now, what do I mean by that? So often we schedule our lives and we schedule our connections with other people in his church based purely on what is the most convenient for us. Now I understand there are realities in life. There is busyness. (laughs) There are calendars that need to be coordinated. Absolutely. But when we view convenience as being more important than connection, something needs to be flipped. Something needs to be flipped in our hearts. Something needs to be flipped in our community. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Those of you who are watching from home right now might be saying, oh boy, is pastor like getting down on us for being at home watching this service from home? No, I'm not. (laughs) I'm not. We're in strange times. We're we're in difficult circumstances. And if you're making a choice today to remain home for for the safety and well-being of your family or for, for whatever those particular reasons may be, I applaud you, I support you, God bless you. That's why we're doing this online. But in the same breath, I also know, because I have heard from the lips of people, that sometimes it's just a little bit easier to be at home on Sunday morning, roll out of bed at, oh, you know, about 10 o'clock, 10, 15. Keep the pajamas on, warm up some coffee, sit in the comfy chair and click on the church. To you, I'm saying, I want to hear, hear my voice and hear the voice of our good shepherd who says, I want you to connect. Connection is important. Not just connection electronically or technologically, but but connection that we can have face-to-face, connection that we can have in community, even if it's limited in some ways. But that connection is valuable. And I believe that's something that God is calling us to right now. That's that's why there's a, a, a guide out there in the commons, and you can also download it online called The Current, listing all kinds of ways to connect, a variety of ways to connect, sometimes in short ways, sometimes in longer ways. Sometimes in smaller groups, sometimes in larger teaching groups. But don't miss out on opportunities to connect, to make that a a value that we have. Here's the second thing I believe that God is flipping, and that is from consumption to commitment. Hey, the reality is if we look around, we know that there are a lot of empty chairs in this room that used to be filled with people. And there are many reasons why some of those people aren't here anymore. But part 
of the reality is this. Sometimes we come before God and we come to church with the idea of what's in it for me. What good products are going to be there for me to consume? Listen, I'm not saying that we don't want to to provide great ways to nourish God's people. That's that's part of my call. That's part of our call is to shepherd well and to feed well. But in the same breath, if everything that is a focus of why you come is based on some type of a transaction that happens where I'll give something as long as I get something, I believe God is wanting to flip that switch. Flip us from a place of consumption to commitment. Now, I know in many ways I'm literally speaking to the choir here. (laughs) Because if you're here, there's a degree by which you see this place as something that you have given your life to. This community. And doing that as as a response to God's love and commitment towards you. That's the right heart. And we don't always get it right. But if we can say honestly that that the church in our community is is about more than just what we get out of it, but most especially about what it is that God has done for us and how we respond by loving one another, by giving of our time, talent, and our treasure, by seeing this as as a place that, that is valuable, not just because it's in a building and has walls, but because this is the church when we are gathered together and we are on a mission and that mission is the most important mission in the world. We commit ourselves to that. So flipping that switch from from consumption to commitment and then flipping from, from membership to discipleship and this is along the same lines. You know, we have a class that we offer here called Catalyst. And I love that term. And it's, we call it our pathway to membership and to baptism. And membership is a biblical word. It's not a bad word, but, but it's been co-opted in a lot of ways. And because of that, co-opting it as, as like something that you join as a club, sometimes we can get into that same mentality. That's like, well, I'm a member now, so I punched my ticket. Thank you very much. But what I've seen happen and continuing to happen, I want to see happen more, is that shift from, from church being just a place that I am a member of to a place that I, I'm a follower of Jesus through. But I see following Jesus as the main reason that I am connected here. And I do it humbly, and, and, I, and I do it imperfectly, and I do it with a bunch of other humble, imperfect people, but we're all on a journey, and we're following a Lord, and he is the one who is our master, and he is the one who sets the pace, and he is the one who calls us forward. And we're going to do that together with Jesus. So these are things I see happening in our community, and, and I believe that God is going to continue to accelerate and do more of here among us. Now, let me talk about us personally, because you know what? The Bible also describes us in community as a temple, and us as parts of that temple. And there is work that I believe God is doing in our individual hearts, too. Places within us, individually and personally, that he wants to flip. And let me be personal and transparent myself about two areas that I see God doing some flipping in me and needing to continue to do some flipping in me. And the first is a flip from worry to hope. There's been plenty to be worried about over the last two years. Certainly well beyond that, but, but with an emphasis over these last couple of years. Lots of, 
a barrage of things that, that cause me to worry, generate fear. But I believe God is at work doing something greater than just the things I see happening in the world. And he wants to move me from worry to hope. To hope. And hopefulness. Fullness of trusting that, that God is still at work. That God is up to something. That all is not lost, friends. Because God is good. And I want to let that happen more in my life. To move from worry to hope. And then lastly, to move from pessimism to prayer. Now, it'd be easy to say, let's move from pessimism to optimism, right? And, and that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about moving from a place of pessimism to a place of prayer. You see, I don't trust that everything's going to work out okay because I've got a bunch of great ideas or, or because I'm, I'm sure that I'll just figure it out or, or my team, which is brilliant and most of them are smarter than me, will, will figure out some better ways to do things. And, and I, I don't trust in that. But I trust in Jesus. And I know that in my heart where I need to move is to move from that place of pessimism to a place of greater prayer. I'm doing that in my own life. I'm doing it personally with a few other people. But, but I, I hear this cry of Jesus that says that my house should be a house of prayer for all nations. And I can't let go of that. And I don't think I'm supposed to. And I don't think we're supposed to either. I think that call to be a house of prayer for all nations is, is both a, a call to us to pray for the nations, for the people around us and the community around us, but also to make ourselves open to people of all kinds of different backgrounds and different places coming and wanting to seek refuge here and see God's purpose in their life revealed imperfectly, in broken people who won't have it all figured out, just like us. I said early in this message that the king has come to claim his throne. And I believe he's claiming his throne among us in our community, and he's claiming his throne rightly in each of our lives. But we're reminded that that throne doesn't look like any other throne, because this throne that Jesus is claiming is a cross. And the crown that he will wear on his head is a crown of thorns. And the suffering that he takes on is suffering for you and for me. It's a different kind of king and a different kind of kingdom. A kingdom that is flipped upside down from every other type of kingdom in the world. And you and I are invited to be a part of it. Let's let God do that flipping work in our lives. Because friends, I believe that if you will listen to the voice of the one who is still flipping tables, it will change your flipping life as he's working to change mine. Let's put ourselves in that posture before the Lord today. And let's begin now by coming before him in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, King of kings and Lord of lords, you who have sent your son Jesus 
to be the servant of all, but to walk the lonely journey towards the cross on our behalf and to invite us to follow him. Lord, what a mystery this is. Father, in that place of following Jesus, Lord, would you, would you do some flipping in our hearts? Would you do some flipping in our community? Would you, would you flip over the tables that need to be flipped? Would you turn around the realities that need to be turned? Lord, would you disrupt those places where, where we have allowed our, our rhythms of life to no longer acknowledge you? Do that disruptive work in our midst. Do it in our hearts today, Lord. And I pray that each person within the sound of my voice would come to you humbly today, Lord, and ask you to disrupt those places that have become hard, that have become dry, that are in need of your breaking work in us. Stir things up in our hearts, Lord. Flip over the tables of our normalcy and of our expectation. And come and be our king. Sit upon the throne of our hearts as Lord and Savior. Jesus, we welcome you. Spirit, we welcome you to do your work in our midst. We pray these things, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen.